What a tremendous message, amen? I trust you've been to Calvary, and boy, if you have, then the Savior's yours too, amen? That's good stuff. First John chapter 2, verse 15. It's a good possibility we're going to finish this series today. <clears throat> it looks pretty good at that. I think we're going to get there. First John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. We kick it off where we have every single week that we've uh, taught this particular lesson and series. We find ourselves in 1 John chapter 2, one more time, verse 15. The Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, excuse me, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Again, we've continually reinforced this idea and understanding that the world system is really under control by Satan himself. The economic system, political system, the the social system, even the religious system that we now operate and function in is really controlled by the God of this world, according to 2 Corinthians 4, 4, little g God, mind you, not big G God, the one that's seated in the heavenlies, but little G God. And as we've said often and over again, that there's a course by which the, travel, the world travels. And that course, unfortunately, leads to destruction. And fortunately for us, and thank God for us, that the mercy of God was extended to us, and the grace of God was poured out upon us, and we were delivered from this present evil world. That's a wonderful thing. 
And now we're not to be conformed to the world any longer. Where once that's what we were conformed to, where once that was natural and normal, now being delivered out of this present evil world, we are to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And so, we kicked off our series by noting, a, a, I guess, a, a, a principle, realizing and recognizing that if you live for Jesus, you're going to encounter opposition from the world. And we noted that, and we spent some time discussing it. And again, realizing, once again, that as the children of light, the children of the day, we're not going to be of the night or darkness. And therefore, there's a significant, a very noticeable difference. Light and darkness are opposites that cannot coexist. And so, there's going to be friction. There's going to be battle there to some degree. There's going to be opposition, if you will. So then we started asking a couple of questions, and we said, all right, uh, that being the case, what areas will this opposition come from? And we basically began by saying, primarily, probably more than not, it'll come from those closest to you. We asked the question, how can I overcome this opposition? Of course, there were a number of things that we addressed, but we said we need to respond properly to opposition. We need to provide a soft answer. We need to avoid battling or fighting wherever possible. We need to please God with our life. Have faith in God. We need to love our enemies as God encourages us and admonishes us to. We ask the question, how should the unsaved world view me as a Christian? How should they view me? Well, we said first of all, and probably foremost, they should know that you love God. But, but not simply by your lips, but by your life. And we noted that, and we talked about a number of other things as well as we kind of addressed that question. We finally asked the question, how should I view the world? And we discussed that last time we got together, and we said, well, we need to view the world as though we're pilgrims in a strange land. We said that our home is in heaven. When we think of this world and when we um, consider and view this world as believers, we ought to say, man, listen, this is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And we said, this world is a mission field. A mission field to reach the lost for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, every believer has a mission today, don't they? Every last one of us. It's not just a pastor or one called to full-time, so-called full-time Christian service. The truth is we're all full-time Christians. We're all to be out on the front lines. We're all to be raising up the banner. We're all to be wielding a sword of the Spirit. And so, nonetheless, it's a mission field, and we ought to view the world that way. Well, tonight I want to ask this question or note this issue. What are my responsibilities to government then? I mean, as believers, let's face it, we have a responsibility to our homes, our families, our churches. We have a responsibility to God and our employers. We have a responsibility, too, to the government according to the Word of God. Again, it's just simply Bible. It's not, it's just what the Bible teaches. And so tonight we want to look at that because as we close this series down, we need to cover all the bases. And, well, one of the bases is government. And so let's go ahead and consider our responsibilities in light of our government in which we now live, or which under we live. Let's pray, first of all. Father, we come to you. Again, we thank you for your word, and Lord, for just its authority and its power. And Father, we thank you how you outline for us uh, how life ought to be for the believer. Uh, you don't guarantee us a bed of roses. You don't tell us everything will always be perfectly fine and rosy. But what you do guarantee us is that you'll be with us. You'll meet our need, and that, Lord, in the end, we can hear, well done, 
So, Lord, help us now, Father, to understand our responsibility, our roles in relationship to government. And, Lord, we'll thank you. We'll praise you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Well, first of all, I guess it's important to realize right off the bat that government is one of three institutions that God himself has ordained. It's very important to realize that. God's the one that implemented government. God's the one that put it into motion. And the other two would be family and the church, if you will. Pretty simply put. And so when you think about that from that perspective then, and, and, and you, you, you realize that God, he's the author of this thing called government. The problem is, is just like everything else in our lives and everything else in the world that's been corrupted because of sin, so has government. Government is also corrupt. Government is also under the leadership of Satan, really. It's one of those realms in which he controls. And therefore, I mean, government then, in general, now again, don't misunderstand me, there have been governments in the past that have been pro-God and pro-Bible, but not too many. Why? Because Satan really is in control of it. Luke chapter 4, verse 5 through 6. Turn, if you would, there, please. Luke chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. So let me, uh, first of all, as you're turning there, as we're kind of preempting this point, I'm going to give you the point right now. Here's the point. What are my responsibilities to my government? Well, recognize the government's authority. That's the first thing. Recognize their authority. Now look at Luke chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. We're talking about Satan and his control of government. It says, and the devil, talking about, remember, in the wilderness, Jesus Christ uh, went out into the wilderness and met the devil out there. The devil, of course, after 40 days, 40 nights of fasting and so forth, he's now going to tempt Jesus Christ. And the devil taketh, taking him up into a high mountain, shoot unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil... Uh, said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. That's interesting, isn't it? And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them. As he shows him all these nations, as he shows him all these, the, 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 the world in a, in a sense, and all these kingdoms, he says, All this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I give it. May I say that he made a bona fide offer to the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't offering something that wasn't his to give. I mean, Jesus could have easily said, hey, buddy, listen, don't you realize the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, and you're not in any way uh, over the government. No, he didn't reprimand Satan in that way at all. I'll tell you why, because the devil was within his rights to offer the kingdoms of the world. Because they're his to offer. One may find that somewhat confusing, as we mentioned already, because it does say in Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Hey, listen, he is the creator of this physical earth in which we live. But remember, sin entered into the picture. When sin entered into the picture, oh boy, things got all messed up. It really won't be until Christ is ruling and reigning on the throne of David during the millennial, uh, the millennium that uh, really he's going to assume his rightful place over the governments of this world. 
where he will rule from the government position, the main position. Now, again, that's all a result of Adam's sin. And in a sense, the devil was promoted when Adam fell. And so that was his rightful place. It's amazing to think that the devil was able to look at Jesus Christ and say, Hey, listen, you see all these kingdoms? I'll give them to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. Have there not been men and women that have bowed down and worshipped for those kingdoms? Jesus didn't, of course. They often say, well, what would you, what's your price? What would you sell your soul to the devil for? Would it be a kingdom? Would it be to rule and reign in one nation or another around the world? Well, the devil can offer you that. It's amazing how little we settle for when we barter with the devil, though. Think about how little we settle for. I mean, he has access. He's the God of this world, little g, and yet we accept so little in return for our allegiance to him. It's amazing what people will sell their soul for. But in spite of the fact that he is the God of this present world system, and that includes government, we're still to submit to the ordinance of God. Take your Bible, turn over to Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 2. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 2. Now, if I asked you a question, if I said to you tonight, is the Bible the Word of God? Most people in the room would probably enthusiastically say, Amen. Amen. If I said everything in the Bible being the Word of God is true then, correct? Everybody go, yay. Yay would be yes. Biblical yes. Now listen. This is a sore topic today. Amongst God's people even. But it's still in the Bible. Notice what it says in the Bible. Romans 13, 1 through 2. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Now we're okay with that when it's God. Okay, I've got to be subject to God. Not that we obey God, not that we really are subject to Him. But we're okay at least hearing it. If anybody would deserve my allegiance, if anybody should have my total surrender, it would be God. Notice it would be. Not every time does God really have it. But we're okay with hearing that because we recognize and realize, oh, of course he deserves that. But that's not the powers that be spoken of here in the passage. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that are ordained of God, whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Again, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. They're ordained of God. That means that those that are in authority and those that are in a position of leadership have been ordained of God. It doesn't matter what we think about them in that regard. God has permitted them to assume the position that they now hold. 
You say, no, that's our fault because we didn't get out and vote. Or that's our fault because I get it. And, and there's a really, it's a tough balance to find, really. You know, well, do I even need to vote? If God's really the one that raises people up and brings them down, then why do I waste my time? That's a tough balance to find. I feel that it's our responsibility, as the Bible teaches, to be active and involved in government in that regard because government's ordained of God. So I do my part and I trust God with the result. And if it doesn't turn out the way I want, well, that's, I guess that's up to God. And so then I turn around and I have to still obey the Word of God. And what I'm being taught here in this particular passage in Romans 13 is that there is no power but of God. And that the powers that are are ordained of God. And I go, wow. I had a, I, I recently, and I've told a couple of people this, it wasn't too many yet, but one of our uh, representatives uh, to the state of Ohio keeps sending me these um, uh, updates on what's going on. And they express their horrible dissatisfaction and disappointment with, with the new tax reform. And then I was listening to all the other stuff they're griping about. Man, I wrote three letters to that guy. And all three I threw away before I sent. Now, be frank with you, I wish the guy wasn't in office. I don't think he's doing anything for us in the state of Ohio. But it doesn't matter what I think about him. He's been put there and ordained of God. So here's the point. I may not agree with his policies, and I may not appreciate his stance, but what I have to do is put him in the right, proper place is the way I view him. He's still a leader that I have to pray for. And I, and I have to do what I can to help him in the one regard. I mean, if I can write a note and try to encourage him and try to help direct him in a certain way, share biblical principles that might encourage him or possibly even turn his attention in another direction and maybe even affect his perspective and outlook, so be it. I need to do all I can to help him find God and to help him to understand things from a biblical perspective. I get it. And I ought to do that. But listen, I better be careful how I go around, you know, how I treat him, what I say about him, and how I talk about him, and the way I, you know, express my uh, self concerning him. I'm telling you, we better be careful because government's ordained of God. An, adjust, uh, an unjust, and cor- as unjust and corrupt as the government may be at times, and it can be. They are still permitted and put in place by God. And there is, again, as I said, it's a difficult balance to reach. On one hand, we note Satan's authority over government, while on the other, we note God's providential intervention. God himself literally ordaining and raising up specific leaders for his own purposes. That's amazing to me, really. Can I, can I just say this? And, and I might be getting a little ahead of myself, but God sees all of this. You know what I see? This. I see that. That's what Mark O'Donnell can see. I see this little speaker in this room right now. My focus, my eyes are not able to comprehend and catch everything going on while I'm focused on that. May I say today, the truth is not one of us in this room are able to see things exactly the way God does. God sees this. We see this. 
And may I say, sometimes we look at it and say, God, you're really messing up. You've made a tremendous mistake. If you could possibly put these people in place, you could put this kind of person in authority. You could allow this person who's corrupt and indignant and, 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 and very, very, uh, uh, corru- uh, very um, immoral or whatever it might be. How in the world, God, you're obviously not active in our affairs here because you'd know we'd be much better off today if he wasn't or she wasn't there. No, God knows exactly what he's doing pretty arrogant to think we see more than he does we don't have to understand it but we do have to understand this truth that government has authority and that authority is ordained of god look if you would in first peter chapter 2 verse 13 as a result of that truth when a believer rebels against the powers that be or those ordained of god he or she is rebelling really against god himself I mean, I know, I know that, 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 that just kind of grates us, but it is a reality. Even as a child is to honor and obey mom and dad, whether or not they're believers or even whether they're moral or, unethic, or they're ethical, it doesn't really matter. If I said to you today, should a son or a daughter, should they show respect to their mom and dad even though their parent isn't a believer? Even though their parent is involved in immoral activity, even though their parent is unethical, even though their parents don't pay their taxes, even if their parents don't live the way they should, you'd go, well, it's the child's the child, the parent's the parent. According to the word of God, they've got to honor and obey them. Well, guess what? Here we are in this world in which we live. You don't have to agree always with government, but you better honor them and obey them. That's what we all have to do. It's, it's, a, it's crazy, I know, sometimes. But notice what 1 Peter 2, 13 through 15 says. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. What's an ordinance? Can anybody give me an idea what an ordinance is? I want you to raise your hand real quick. It gives an idea, just a generally speaking, yeah. Okay, we'll just really make it simple. A three-letter word. A law. An ordinance. I know, I know somebody you know, might say, well, I think it's a little bit a law. I agree. I, I like that. I think that's simple. Submit yourselves to every law of man for the Lord's sake. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Are you doing it because it suits you? Are you doing it because it's in the best interest of your family? Are you to do it because it, it will ultimately prosper you in the future? Or are you doing it because, well, it, it's going to be comfortable every time? No, you're doing it for His sake. What's the Bible say over in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32? Can anybody quote the verse? It's about forgiveness. Yeah, go ahead, brother. Hold on. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as what? Even as what? It was God for... Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're trying to throw me a curve now, aren't you? Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I saw him over there. Look at him over there trying to act like he's going to get me. He knew what I was looking for, you dirty dog. He tried to set me up for the kill. Quoted it right the first time. He took it out because he knew that's what I was looking for. Hey, listen, for Christ's sake, you forgive people. You do it for Christ. 
And that's what he's saying for this issue of government. It's not always for you. It's not always because it's in the best interest of your family to follow and obey what the government's saying. But the fact is, is you're doing it for him. That's what the Bible says. I'm not saying it's easy. He goes on to say, he goes on to say, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So when he says it's for his sake, what's he really saying? He's saying, I'm having you do that for me so that ultimately I can be elevated, magnified, and glorified. Because when, for so uh, is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. When they see you are obeying the law, when they recognize that you are fulfilling your responsibility as a believer, even at times when it's under duress, even when it's difficult and hard, it's going to reflect positively on me, he says. And it's going to shut their mouths. Because, see, the fool saith in his heart, there is no God. And the foolish will be silenced. See, there's a bigger picture here. I don't want to pay my taxes. There are a bunch of shysters. There are a bunch of crooks up there in, in Washington. And, boy, I'll tell you what, I, I don't want to pay mine either. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pay them. Even though I think they're ripping us off. Even though I think it's a joke that the Senate and, and the congressmen don't have to have the same Social Security program we got. I think it's a big joke that they don't have the same insurance policies that we have. I think it's a joke. How in the world can you represent me and you don't even know what i got to deal with? But will I pay my taxes? Yeah, I'll pay my taxes. I'm going to do it. And if I'm going to gripe and complain, I'm going to do it through the proper channels. I'm going to go ahead and follow through the way I should. I'm not going to take a bomb and blow up the White House. I'm just simply going to go ahead and handle it the way the law says to do it. Because I'm a Christian. I do things the way Christ said to do them. And that's how we ought to do them. Now, when I say that, and I say I I do them the way the Lord said to do them, I guess sometimes maybe I have it in the past. I've struggled a little bit sometimes. I've had a hard time sometimes submitting to some of the rules and some of the regulations and some of that. And I've complained like, man, drag me out kicking and screaming. You know what I found out? It really didn't help a whole lot anyway. I might as well just do it God's way. Because in the long run, it's not him that gets the glory when I go out kicking and screaming. He only gets the glory when I do it the way he said to. I usually just make a big fool of myself if I do that. Obviously, there are some lines that cannot be crossed. And our first allegiance is, of course, the biblical principle and practice. We understand that. I'm sure that's running through some minds. You're thinking, wait a second. He's telling us we've got to obey the government. What if the government says we can't witness? What if the government says we can't read our Bibles? What if the government says we can't pray? Well, that's a whole different ballgame. That is a different ballgame. That's not something that's... We're not given a right to pray. We're not given a right to worship our God. We're not given a right to share the gospel by the authority of government. We've been given that right by the authority of heaven. There's a difference. 
Even the apostles found themselves in a pretty tight spot early on in their ministry. Look, if you would, in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. See, the authority of government in their case, and at that time in history, was demanding that they cease from preaching the resurrected Christ. Note the response, of course, of Peter and the other apostles. Then Peter, chapter 5, verse 29, and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And boy, I mean in Christianity and in the church, we have a resounding, Amen! Okay, so when's the last time the government told you you couldn't preach Jesus Christ resurrected? I'm just saying, we really don't, That doesn't apply to us in most cases. I I mean, I don't really know. You'd be hard-pressed to find a place in in, in what's being asked of us through our government today where we could literally say, we're going to resist that. We're going to defy the government on that one. Why? What are they asking us to do that's unscriptural so far? Oh, by the way, what if they tell us we lose our tax-exempt status? We're going to go ahead, Johnny, bar the door. We're going to go ahead and lock every door. And if the police come, we're going to shoot it out with them. We're not doing that. God never promised that we get tax-exempt status. Now listen, I'm going to throw a fit as far as politically speaking. I'm going to raise my voice high. I'm going to say, you nuts, are you crazy? Man, I'm going to write in the nutters and I'm going to get over here. You can't take that from us. You don't realize what you're doing. You're undermining the authority of God. Don't you realize that you're just trying to destroy the church and get rid of any, any similitude of God in our culture? Oh man, I'll go at it. But I, I'm not... I'm going to do what the Bible says, though. Guess where I'll still be, even if they take it away? Still be preaching the gospel. Still be doing all the things we've been doing. Why? Because that's what God calls us to do. Now, I'm going to tell you, it'd be a lot harder. Can you imagine with me for a moment? The church, Community Baptist Temple, having to come up with over 30-some thousand, probably closer to $50,000 a year just in property taxes for this building alone. Our buildings are are uh, appraised at over 2.2 or 2.3 million. The last time these buildings were appraised at 2.2 million, it was before the big big, uh, 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 real estate crash. You know, the taxes were back in 2007, 2008 at this location, 60,000 a year. Have taxes gone up or gone down? I got to believe it would be at least 60,000 if we had to start paying our taxes here. They'd come in and appraise our properties all over again. Oh, boy, this is a beautiful building. We'd say, thank you so much. We appreciate that. They'd say, and because they're so beautiful, guess what? Folks, listen. We don't have to always agree with what the government's doing. And, and, And that would be really, that would be the attempt of a corrupt government trying to undermine God in this culture. Trying to destroy the church trying to wreck and ruin the cause of Christ and the name of the Lord. They don't want to hear it from us. I mean, how many times have we fought battles in the past that local governments have tried to say we can't go out and knock doors? And you know, It gets crazy, I know. 
Fortunately, we've been fortunate enough and blessed enough that we haven't had to fight those battles here in Akron. We've been blessed. There's been some communities that have had to fight that battle. And they've gone down there and said, you can't do that. Well, you're going to be forced to have a permit. Every single soul winner has to be permitted. You're going to have to buy permits for every single member that's going out. We're going to need names of every member. We're going to need permits for every member. We're going to... Yeah, right. Like, that's going to happen. I'm just saying, the government, hey, we're going to fight it tooth and nail. And we have a right to propagate the gospel. That's a God-given authority. That's not given to us by our government. There's a difference. That's when we take the position that we find here in the passage in Acts 5.29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Oh, we'll have to pay our taxes still. We'll go through all the motions. We'll do everything we're supposed to do. But you don't tell us what we can and can't preach. Because that's not up to you. That's Him. It's all about what He says. I know it gets tricky. I, I know it gets kind of crazy. but And it is tough to wade through it. It's tough to figure it all out. But we've got to be careful with this. We've got to recognize the government's authority, though. So there comes a point where the demands of a Christ-hating regime cannot be obeyed. We get that. We understand that. And, of course, that point comes when the request is in clear violation of Scripture. Clear violation. Not my opinion that they're violating it, but that they are violating it. Because everyone in this room has a different opinion. But we don't function by opinion. function according to the Word of God. It gets tricky, and it gets tough. And you have to ask yourself a lot of questions like, what am I willing to, what price am I willing to pay? But nonetheless, if it's a true violation of Scripture, then the price is never too great. But there's a lot of other things the price may be way too great and maybe more than you'd want to pay. So, for the most part, we're on very thin ice when rebelling against the powers that be. Why? Because they are ordained of God. They're ordained of God. As simple as that. Well, number two, what's one of our responsibilities to government? And I, we'll rush through this one quickly, and we're done. I, I have a couple others, but let's just do this. Do right. Do right. We've already touched on it. That's why I say it won't take us long. Do right. Generally speaking, here's the bottom line. Now, again, this is generally speaking. If you do what is right, you don't have any reason to fear I know there's always exceptions to every rule to a degree or another, but for the most part, if you do what is right, you don't have any reason to fear. See, God will honor those that do right. He honors those. Now again, because the powers that be are ordained of God, we're reminded to submit and, only, uh, to, and obey the law of the land. And by doing so, we, we really do avoid a number of pitfalls and consequences. Um, as much as we will say, well, government is really under the control, primary control, primary control of, of, the, of Satan. The fact is that God ordained government. Why? Because government is needed to bring control and order to what would normally be anarchy. Can you imagine if every single one of us could drive this, whatever speed we chose? 
We get on the highway, we drive however fast we like. We, we don't have to stop at stop signs. You don't have to stop at red lights. I mean, you do whatever you want. I mean, that's just the stupid government, right? Telling you you got to stop at a red light. Who are they anyway? Telling me what I can and can't do. Do you know God ordained government because He knows that you and I need someone to put some parameters in place that will ultimately protect us? Now, let's be honest. We realize today that the government spends way too much time trying to protect us from ourselves. We get that. I mean, let, let three kids die from a certain type of car seat. Next thing you know, it's outlawed and they're forcing you to buy one that's twice as much. They didn't tell you that those two cars got hit by semi-trucks. I'm just saying, sometimes they're trying to protect us from ourselves. I mean, it used to be children were put in a car seat. Now you're 12 and you're still in one. And some of you ladies are going to still need to put one on here soon. Sitting in a car seat because you're still not tall enough. That's crazy. Can you imagine that? I'm sorry. I mean, I, I don't even want to go there because if what I about said was almost politically incorrect because I was going to talk about really small people. But can you imagine? Can you imagine? You can't drive because you're too little. That's stupid. Give me a break. Nonetheless, Romans 13, 3 through 5. Let's look there very quickly. These will be the last verses that we'll at least turn to. Romans 13, 3 through 5. Now again, I, I do want to bring this to your attention as you're turning there. Realize that while Paul the Apostle is speaking to the church at Rome, he is living in a day and an age with one of the most ruthless, most, I mean, just inhumane leaders that ever existed. A guy by the name of Nero. He had, he had hanging gardens. He put Christians up on, on, on stakes. He covered them with wax and lit them on fire in his gardens. This is the kind of emperor, government leader that was in place when this was being written. But remember, this is not being written from the perspective of a mere man. The Word of God is being written from God's perspective. This isn't Paul's perspective. This is God's view. This is what God's telling us to do. Man, Paul, I would imagine, in his flesh would have said, Man, I'm storming the castle. Let's everybody get your swords. Let's do this thing. Let's take down Rome, baby. But you know what? Jesus never told the Christians to attack the government and to try to bring it down. Because that's, this isn't, what? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Can you imagine all the Christians giving their life to bring their brothers off of those stakes, staves, and there's no gospel for the next generation? Wouldn't that have been horrible? 
You wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't be sitting here. Heaven would not be filled with people because the Christian disobeyed God's rule and law and would not obey government. Wow. Perspective. I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. For rulers, chapter 13, verse 3, are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same, for he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Someone breaks in your house tonight. Tries to hurt and harm your family. The police pull up and the gentleman or the lady, whoever it is in your home, just threatening you and seeking to harm you, is confronted by a police officer. They raise a gun or even have a gun in their hand. The police officer shoots them, kills them. Let me ask you a question. Are you happy and glad that they were there to help and protect you? Absolutely you are. You want to know why that police officer was a terror to that person? Because that person was disobeying the law of the land. That person, according to our laws and our world in which we live, as, it, as we note here in the passage, was being evil, doing evil. And the government puts things in place, a sword in place. To ensure that justice is done. Now, we understand there's corruption. We get it. I mean, what's the Bible talk about? You know, righteousness exalteth a nation. Problem is, when righteousness isn't at the root of the nation, all kind of things are exalted before the nation itself. We get it. But hold on. I got a feeling tonight that I'm going to get home pretty safe as long as I don't run any red lights. Drive 100 miles an hour down the road. I don't think anybody's going to bother me tonight, probably. But if I'm doing 100 miles an hour down the road, if I'm waving a gun out my sunroof, going, woohoo! I got a feeling someone just might take objection to that. And I might see a little light behind my car. Listen, for the most part, and again, there are always exceptions to rules. For the most part, we know what the Bible says. And for, as believers, we are to obey the law. And we're to submit to the authority of those in charge because they are powers that be. And those powers that be are ordained of God. We need to do right. That's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. The natural response of any red-blooded American man or woman in this carnal flesh in which we live, is to fight back at all costs. I don't deserve, you will not tell me what to do. And I don't agree with your position, and I don't like, well, I'll tell you what, okay, but remember whose reputation is really at risk here. Is it yours? No, it's Jesus's. It's his. We've got to be careful. So pay your taxes. Obey the speed limits as much as possible. 
I know how you are because I know how I am, man. I look at my speedometer sometimes and go, wow, I hope nobody was looking. You know what I'm talking about. I didn't have any fear until I realized how fast I was going. It does happen. It happens to all of us, I'm sure, to some degree or another. I'm some of you not nearly as much. I'm just saying, don't get messing around with drugs, guys. It's against the law. Don't get drunk and go out there and do stupid stuff. You're going to get the snot beat out of you. Something's going to go wrong. Let me tell you, when you start breaking the law, bad things happen. So don't put yourself in that position. If bad things happen and you're not doing anything wrong, then let's get a good lawyer and do what we got to do. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd help us. We desperately need you. Lord, help us as believers to realize that, Lord, government's ordained of God. I know, Lord, that it's tough because it's tough just like a poor child that's in a home where mom and dad aren't being or acting the way they ought to. 